right. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. I've had so many people ask me about the balloons, and honestly, it couldn't have went any better this morning. I saw people, this one blowing. I saw kids messing with them. That is exactly what I wanted. I wanted them to be annoying. I wanted them to be distracting. I wanted them to be in your face. If you've kind of looked at them, you've seen there's sort of a theme, except for this one over here. This is a wedding ring. I'll, I'll get to that. I could not buy that one. It's huge. It's really cool, but the rest of them are animals, and that's because I wanted to, I wanted to do a little, you know, it's a little youth groupy, humor me this morning, I, I get that, but I wanted to, to help us enter into the reality that we live every single day, and that reality is that life is a zoo. Life's a zoo. I talked to one mom this morning, who, she said, what's up with the balloons? I said, life's a zoo, and she said, don't I know it. Don't I know it? Someone else was telling me about the, the worries and, and the, how you doing. She said, I'm busy. I'm just so busy. It's good, but I'm busy. The reality is, as we go through life, it's a zoo. There are all kinds of worries and anxieties that pop up, that float up like these, these stupid balloons that I've hung out through, through the auditorium here this morning, right? And a lot of the things that we worry about, if you notice, most of them are like cute, and good, right? We got chickens and animals. Some of the farm animals, Amazon let me down a little bit. They do not look like the pictures. They're kind of creepy, a couple of them, right? And that's life too. Sometimes the things that, that, that happen that we worry about are, are not because of bad or evil things. They're good things. We concern ourselves. We worry about, we have anxious thoughts about health, wealth, and prosperity. Things that we desire, not just for ourselves, but for our loved ones and our friends. And those type of things makes us, make us anxious. We think about whether or not we're going to have those things. Obviously, if you've seen the news, there are evil things that make us worry as well, right? You just saw Israel got attacked and I already had some people. Or, Is Jesus coming back? And to that I say, we're one day closer. <laughs> we're one day closer, right? Every single day. That's the best I got. He's coming back. I don't know when. He's coming and we're one day closer. Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. So for me to guess or tell you, that, that's silly. We shouldn't even guess at that. Just be ready. Be ready. So we worry, about, we worry about good things. We worry about bad things. The wedding ring. You're like, that's not an animal. What's up with that? I saw that at Walmart. I'm like, I have to get this. Why? Because people worry about whether or not they're going to find someone, if they're going to be single. Those of us who are married worry about whether or not we're going to be able to make our marriage work. If you buy your wife a nice wedding ring because you're a gentleman and a scholar, right, then your wife worries about losing it. It's like we worry about all kinds of things. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. Worry is all around us. Anxious is, anxiousness is all around us. And because of that, because this is something that we all can relate to, I know that as we're looking at the text, Philippians 4 this morning, I realize that I'm treading on thin ice a little bit. I'm treading on thin ice because I'm going to talk about something that is so familiar to all of us, and there's a danger that, that you might feel condemnation this morning. Well, I don't want you to raise your hands, but I'm confident, if I had you raise your hand, I'm confident that at least 10%, that's probably pretty low, more like 20, maybe even 30% of you are on some type of medication for anxiety. And you, you might be walking in, you might be, you might be thinking, you might be feeling you saw where we're going. You might be familiar with this text, this annoying text in Scripture, a command not to worry. 
and you're nervous. You see, we're, oh, here we go again. Another preacher, another church guy, another pastor is going to tell me what I already know. I already feel guilty that I have to be on medication. If I'm a good Christian, I should just get this figured out. Then you might be thinking, here we go, another passage of Scripture, another pastor that's just going to tell me to stop it. Just stop. Just don't worry. Now, I'm not going to show the sketch because that's all you'd remember, but if I did, some of you can Google it later. Bob Newhart is a mad TV sketch, and I watched it. There's one that it's, it's fit for, for everyone. You, you know, the, the guy comes in in the sketch, and he sits down. It's actually a gal. She wants to talk about her feelings and her anxieties, and he just tells her over and over again, just stop it. Just stop feeling that way, right? She comes in. She's like, I'm terrified of being buried in a box. He's like, well, you don't want to live your whole life being fear, fear, fearful of being buried in a box, do you? Well, no. Then stop it, he says. <laughs> right? Super helpful. Not really. Not at all. Especially if you're the one who's dealing with crushing anxiety. And the reality is, if we're not careful, biblical texts like the one that we're going to look at today can start to sound a lot like commands to just stop it. Just don't worry. Just stop it already. Honestly, interpreting these verses in that manner would be a little bit like me telling you, just don't look at the balloons. They're all over the place. They're hanging when you were standing at a, at a level that, as you were looking at the screen, they were in your way. Me telling you not to worry would be like, hey, just don't notice these things. Just ignore them. Pretend like they're not there. Look past them. They're pretty distracting, aren't they? especially when the, the AC was blowing them all around. I saw a, a little kid in here pulling them. I was like, yes, it's happening. <laughs> it's just as I planned, right? It's like life. It's like life. You're going about your life, and I'm assuming if you're here this morning, you're at least interested in the things of God. Maybe not. We're still glad you're here regardless. This is a safe spot. We love you. We hope that you make friends here. But if you're here, I'm assuming you know a little bit about God and you want to focus your life on, on loving Him, on living for Him. But y'all know what happens. Life's a zoo. Life happens. Good things happen to us. Sporting events and all of the good things that we're a part of, extracurriculars, they happen. They happen a lot. Good concerns, cares, and responsibilities happen. Bad things too diagnoses, health problems, money problems, political problems, economic instability. They all have a horrible habit of popping up like these balloons in our life, stealing our focus, distracting us, fixating us on anything and everything but God and our relationship with him and the faith that we have in him. Me telling you to just stop it would be like me telling you just, just don't look. Just, look, just don't look, right? Stop looking at this super cute giant unicorn. Just don't notice it, right? Stop it, church. Don't look at this chicken over here. You're all looking at it. Quit it. <laughs> you get my point, right? Not very effective. Not very effective. Thankfully, the scripture we're going to read is not a command for you to just stop worrying this morning. You could read it that way if you wanted to, but hopefully I'm illustrating that that wouldn't be very helpful. It wouldn't be very helpful. Rather than seeing the verses that we read as a command to just stop worrying, I want to invite you to read this scripture with me as an invitation. An invitation. 
Philippians 4, 1 through 9 is an invitation for you and me, for all of us who struggle so much with worry and anxiety. It's an invitation for you and I to enter into God's rest and enjoy His peace. We say, let's look at it together, see if we can find some encouragement this morning. For those of us who are fighting the enemy of gratitude that we call worry and anxiety. Let's read it together. Philippians 4. Be on the screen. As always, I encourage you to bring your own Bible, whether it's on your phone or the hard copy, the old school, whatever. Pull it out. Get it in front of you. We'll be in the NIV. Philippians 4, 1 through 9, it says this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Judea, and I plead with you, Syndicate, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me and seen in me, put it into practice. And the peace of God or the God of peace will be with you. This section comes right before chapter 3. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Chapter 4, chapter 3, right? If you didn't read it, Paul had just finished commending, exhorting the Philippians to grow up in their faith, to become mature. He just told them back in chapter 3, he told them to follow his example. Remember where your true home is, your citizens of heaven, first and foremost. You're citizens of heaven, and one day, he says, Jesus is coming back, and everything that he began in you, he will finish. He will change you in an instant. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, because of what you've seen in Paul's example, because your citizenship is in heaven, because Jesus is coming back to finish what he started, therefore, Paul says, stand firm in our faith. We should trust God's promises. We should be united in our faith. In chapter 4, he says, have the same mind in the Lord. Be united together in the gospel. Therefore, stand firm. Church, even as he's commending the Philippians here about how to live and stand firm in Jesus, I want you to see Paul recognizes the cares and worries of this life that we experience in our world. Apparently, among the church in Philippi, there seems to be some relational tension between, between two uh, ladies, Judea and Syndicate. Not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but just say it with confidence, right? And that's the two ladies. We're not told 
We're not told what their tension is, but apparently there's some type of relational strife going on. There's differences, and the focus of their heart is on the tension rather than on the Lord. And Paul invites them. He says, listen, I I know what's going on. I've seen it. And I, I want you guys to focus on the unity you have in Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I want the whole community to help you do that. You see, what I want you to notice here is that Paul is not preaching his message to stand firm in the faith, in isolation about the cares and worries and anxieties in this world that we face. He's not oblivious to the worries and cares of this life. Paul and your heavenly father are not naive to what it's like to live here as a human being. They know They know what's going on. And even as the Lord is telling us and telling the Philippians to stand firm in their faith, He knows the worries, the cares, the anxiety that's all around them. Some of it with with, with the relational strife, with relational tension. And He invites, even even as He calls out the balloons, He says, listen, I I see what's going on. I see this worry. I see this care that's, that's floated up in your vision. Right? And that's what happens to us. Life's a zoo. Balloon animals pop up. Relational strife happens. Even when you're trying hard, doing your best to live at peace with all people. Worries, cares, strife, anxiety. Life's a zoo. It pops up. And Paul and the Father God, they know this. And I want you to to notice that even as they're they're calling attention to one of those balloons that's floating up, we've got some relational strife over here. We've got some stuff that's going to cause you some worry and anxiety. I'm aware of that. You need to be aware of it too, but let me invite you. Let me invite you. He doesn't just give us a negative command, stop it, right? He doesn't just say, stop it. He gives us a positive command. Let me invite you to rather than fix your eyes on one of these things, let me invite you to come to the Father of heaven. Right after he calls out one of these balloons, look at the positive command he gives to us. He doesn't just say, stop it. No, look at the positive. He says, rejoice. Rejoice always. If I were to summarize what he says, paraphrase into one sentence, here's what he says. With your worry, with your anxiety, don't just stop it. No, he says, rejoice always and turn to God with your requests and troubles. See, you all don't need me to hear, you don't need to hear me say, don't be anxious. That command by itself, it's not only not helpful, it can be really condemning to those of us who who really struggle with the presence of anxiety and worry in our lives. I read a I read an article this week by a guy named Ed Welch. He's a counselor, a Christian counselor. He writes for an organization called the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, CCEF. They have an amazing website full of all kinds of helpful resources dealing with mental health from a Christian perspective, ccef.org. I went there and I read an article and he pointed out something to me that I'd never seen that I want to share with you. He pointed out to me as Jesus, Jesus talked a lot about worry. And one of the places that he talked about worry is in Luke 12. And in Luke 12, I've never seen this before, I want you to see God's heart towards those of us who are fearful, those of us who are anxious, those of us who struggle to fixate in the future and worry about all of those things. As Jesus is teaching about worry, he concludes his teaching in verse 32 of chapter 12 in Luke. 
do not be afraid. And that's a command. And as a command alone by itself, it, it might be kind of frustrating. It might be kind of condemning to hear. But look what he adds to that command. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock. Have you seen a flock, church? I think there's a sheep in here somewhere. He's over there. He's cute, right? Have you seen a little flock? A little flock of lambs? Talk about vulnerable, fragile creatures. Sheep are dumb. They are weak. The Bible calls us sheep. Sheep without a shepherd are in a bad way. They're in a bad way. Listen to the heart of your father, church. Don't be afraid, little flock. His words in Luke 12 and here in Philippians 4, they're not a condemning command to get your life in order and live completely free from your sinful anxiety. You see, when we talk about the presence of anxiety, I used to think if I have any anxiety, that's a, that's a sign, an indication of my sinfulness. I don't think that's right, especially in regards to what, what Jesus says here. Don't be afraid, little flock. If the presence of anxiety and worry in your life, I, I don't think it's as much an indication of our sinfulness as much as it is an indication of our weakness and our frailty. And I want you to see your Father's heart in light of that. He's not issuing commands to condemn you. Come on, here we go again. You're worrying again about this? Seriously, just stop it. That's not his heart. Don't be afraid, little flock. I know that you worry. I know that anxiety comes into your life. I know how weak you are. The presence of anxiety in your life, church, is not an indication of your sinfulness. It's an indication of your weakness before your father. And look what the father says to you. He says, as you, as you experience these things, see, the presence of anxiety is not in itself sinful. It does become sinful when we get paralyzed by it, when we get so fixated on it that our focus is, is locked in. And this is all we can see. And this is all, all we can focus on. And we can't do anything else because we're paralyzed and we're fixated and we're frozen in our anxious thoughts and in our fear. That is sinful. But not the initial presence of it. And so the Father invites us. He says, if you would turn to me when you experience that, little flock, if you would come to me, then I would give you a peace that transcends human understanding. When you should be paralyzed in anxiety, when your mind should be racing through all of the hypotheticals like it does, right? Trying to make sense out of your situation, trying to solve the, the presenting problem, God invites us into His rest to stop the racing thoughts, to experience His presence in a way that fills us with a sense that even though you can't make sense of it, even though you can't work out a hypothetical on how this is going to work out in the future, if you turn to God in your present, with your anxious thoughts, knowing that He's not condemning you, that He knows how weak you are, He's inviting you to come to Him, to tell Him about it. If you would do that, He says, I'll give you a peace by my presence that you won't be able to understand. 
I will give you a sense that everything is going, everything is going to be okay when all that you look out in the world says otherwise. I will give that sense to you, that everything, that you are going to be okay. I want you to hear me on this. This passage this morning, it's an invitation to come to God with your anxiety, with your fear, and not as a shame on you. That's how oftentimes we hear this, right? Don't, just stop it. Quit, quit worrying. Don't be anxious. That's not what God's saying. It's an invitation to come to him, not as a, a scolding or a, a shame on you. No. His invitation is one of a compassionate father who understands how weak and how frail his sheep are. The fearful and the anxious, Ed Welch writes, he says, they're invited to come to the God who is familiar with our weakness. They're invited to come to our sympathetic and compassionate high priest who goes to bat for us, who intercedes on our behalf. And when we come to him, we should not expect a scolding or a shame on you. We should expect to hear gentle encouragement. We should expect also to hear the patient repetition of his promise, I'm here. I'll be with you. We're going to sing a song at the end, and the bridge says, I trust the Lord because I cried out to him, and he heard and he answered me. Now, we could take that to mean I sought the Lord and he heard and he popped all of the balloons in my life of worry and he gave me everything that my heart's desire, all health, wealth, and prosperity. And because of that, I trust him. That's not how I want you to sing that song when we close this morning. How I want you to sing that song is when I seek the Lord with my anxiety. He will hear me and he will answer me. And he might not always give me what I want or what I think I need, but he will give me what I need and that will be his peace filled presence. You have all that you enough, you have all that you need in Jesus church because Jesus is enough. You can seek the Lord in the zoo of life and know he's not going to pop all those balloons. But he is going to pursue you in a way that's like tractor beam sucked you right in, right? Dumb and dumber. Tractor beam sucked you right in. No one? Don't see that movie? Okay. Just me. Well, he'll pursue us in a way that fixes our eyes on himself. He will fill us. He will answer us with his peace-filled presence. And that will be enough. That will be enough. He will be near you, as Paul writes here in our passage. He will be near to all who call on him in truth. As the psalmist reminds us, Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills their desires of those who fear him. If you fear him, you desire him more than anything else. So he can fulfill that desire by giving you more of himself. He hears their cry and he saves them. You see, while God is not surprised or offended by our frailty and fears, He does not desire that we would become fixated or paralyzed by them. That's not good for us. It's not good for his little flock. In that passage in Luke, Jesus asked a simple question, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? All this worry that that we're paralyzed by, that we fixate upon, what good does it do us? No good. 
No good. It's not good for us. It's also not good for our Father or His name. What does it look like when the children of God turn everywhere else or to themselves in trust? Living in such a way as if their Father in heaven will not care for them. It's not good for the Father and His name when we worry either. See, while God's not surprised or offended by our frailty and fears, He does not desire that we would become fixated or paralyzed by them. It's not good for us. It's not good for the Lord either or His name. So again, while the presence of anxiety and worry, it's not necessarily a sin, becoming paralyzed, becoming fixated upon the problems that give us those anxiety are. And so the Lord, He does give us a command in this passage, but if there is a command in Philippians, I think it would be this, in your anxiety, in your anxiety, in your fear, in your worry, turn to God. Come to the Father. Don't focus on your problems or cares or concerns that have you worried. Rather, turn to God and focus on Him. See, again, in the, in the context of this room filled with balloons, I can't tell you to not notice them. We have sight. We're going to notice them. Likewise, God isn't saying, be unaffected by the cares or concerns of this world. God isn't saying, how dare you have feelings? He created us with those. He's not saying, how dare you, you have feelings? Don't be ineffected, right? Worry and anxiety, they're going to pop up. They're going to pop up. What you and I are called or commanded to fight for then is a matter of focus. Don't become fixated on the problems that come up or worse. Fixate on the problems that you think you might have, right? That's what, that's what we do. Rather than fixating on our problems, we're called to fight to focus on God. Think on Him, Paul says. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice in the God who has loved you. Remember the gospel. He sent His one and only Son to die for you so He could make His presence manifest in your very bodies. He might be with you always. Remember His past faithfulness to you. Rejoice. He goes on, He says, this is what I want you to fixate your life on, to focus on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. All of these things come down to you from the Father of heaven. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Fix your eyes on Him and the good things He's given to you in the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. And know this, learning to transform your mind, to focus on God in this way so that your anxieties are eroded, so that they don't become paralyzing, it's a skill, church. It's a spiritual skill that we have to learn. That means it takes practice. We have to see it modeled by others for us who are further along in their faith. Paul says it right here. He says, whatever you've learned from me, Whatever you've seen me do, whatever you've, you've watched or received or heard or seen in me, follow me as I follow Jesus. We need more mature believers in our life to help us learn this skill of fixing our eyes on our Father when the worries of life tend to want to pull our gaze away from Him. The skill of turning to God in the midst of anxiety, it's one we have to learn in the context of a church community. 
That's why the local church, one of the reasons why the local church is so incredibly important, we're not meant to do this alone. We need to see it in others. We need to see it in others who are our people, who we trust. We need to see how they respond and learn from them. I realize what I've been saying to those of you who really, really struggle with anxiety. I'm sure there are many. I realize that some of you might be thinking, easy for you to say, preacher. Just turn to God. Just give it to God and focus on God. Just trust in God. Easy for you to say. Hear me. I love you. I'm not condemning you for your struggle, neither is God. I don't fully know how hard it is for you or what it's like to live with oppressive anxiety or worry. But I do know the Lord Jesus has something better for you. He has peace for you, friend. While I sympathize with you in your struggle, I want to give you something practical, two things. First, I want you to hear me say this. I do not believe that anxiety medication is sinful. I don't understand brain chemistry or body systems like doctors do. I don't, I don't get all of that stuff, but I don't believe the Bible teaches us that we shouldn't take medications for sickness. We could lump anxiety into that. So please don't feel bad about needing some medical help with your struggle to fight anxiety. While I can't say that I think a pill is always the solution or right call, I know that for many, it is incredibly helpful. Because without it, for all kinds of reasons, anxiety for you has just become something that you, you really struggle to get beyond. And so to the person who's on meds for anxiety, to help them be able to focus more on the Lord... And that is the point. To keep them from being fixated or paralyzed by anxiety, to you, I'll say, keep taking your meds. Listen to your doctor and don't feel bad about it. The Lord does not condemn you. Praise God that something like that even exists. That the Lord has gifted individuals with brains big enough to figure out proteins and DNA and all the things that, that happen to work with those pills. All right? Praise God for that. So to the person that's, that's struggling with that this morning, I want to help alleviate possibly some of the guilt that you feel, little flock. God's not condemning you. He knows you're weak. He knows your frailty. It might not be my area of weakness, but Lord knows I have them. I think we, we can use all of the means at our disposal, whatever we got to do to help us fix our eyes on Jesus. I think the Lord says, I love it. Whatever you need to do to fix your eyes on me, to come back to me, to, to train your eyes on me, if meds help you, praise God. The second thing I want to give by way of practicality is a process. Learning to deal with worry and anxiety in a godly manner is a skill and a practice that you and I all have to learn to grow in. When I get worried about something, I find myself fixated on a future My mind races 
through a list of hypothetical situations. You probably all have experienced this, right? You're trying to go to sleep. You know you need sleep, but you, you can't stop your mind from racing because you are, in your mind, you're fixated on the future and all of the things you have to do and all of the hypothetical situations that haven't even happened yet that are causing you a restless night and an inability to worry. I've had two of those this week. That doesn't happen to me very often. I got up at two in the morning and could not go to bed because my mind was racing. Last night, I slept like garbage. I saw every 15 minutes from 12 a.m. onward. I read an article about Israel, and it, it messed with me. When a balloon pops up in your life, we are so quick to extrapolate out into a future in an attempt to control our situation. And friends, all of this is done in self-reliance. I know you know this. I know it too. But we need to remind ourselves in those moments that no matter how much thought we give to the present ballooning problem, you and I cannot control our future. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your day? So what can we do? In those moments where our mind is racing, we're, we're fixated on a, on a future hypothetical and, and and man, just so anxious in our heart about what might happen. What can we do? We can strive to come back into the present. I've personally found that focusing on my breathing is a very effective way to do that. I breathe in for four seconds. One, two, three, four. I breathe out for four seconds. One, two, three, four. I do that for a couple minutes. This is helpful because you and I are physical beings who exist only in the present. You don't exist in your past. You don't exist in the future. You only exist in the present. And when we focus on our breathing, it anchors us. It brings us back into our bodies in the present and takes us out of our racing minds that are so often living in a future that we cannot control. Now, anyone can do that breathing exercise. And if you stop there, there's nothing explicitly Christian or gospel-centered about that. So don't stop there. Don't stop there, right? Being in the present alone with our problems is not really any better than being in our racing minds trying to solve our issues in the future. So don't just practice breathing techniques, right, to get yourself back into the present. Keep breathing. Do that exercise to root you back in your body. And as you're coming back to your mind and your soul and your spirit in the present, turn your focus to God. In every situation, with thanksgiving, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. As you're breathing and quieting your heart, mind, and soul, begin to focus in on the things that you're thankful to God about. Rejoice. You have things to rejoice because Jesus loves you. No matter what you're going through, you have things that you can praise God about. So call to mind those memories of how you've seen God work in your life, in your past. Call to mind past memories where you felt the joy of Jesus and his near, glad-to-be-near-you presence. And as you're practicing thanksgiving, as you're practicing rejoicing, as you're coming in to God's presence with praise through the gates of of his kingdom with praise and rejoicing. 
start to tell him about what has you anxious. And know that when you do, he's not disappointed in you that you're feeling anxious, little flock. He's inviting you to come to him for his peace. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. If you begin to practice this, the breathing, the thanksgiving, turning to God, talking to him about your fears, your anxiety, as you practice, it's not going to happen overnight. It's a skill you're going to grow in, but know that as you practice these things, fixating your eyes on Jesus, what he's done for you in the midst of your anxiety, know that you will begin to experience more of God's peaceful presence in your life. Do you know how I know that, church? Because Philippians 4, 7 still says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As you begin to experience his peace in your present, at that point, you can go about living in your present, doing the things that he's called you to do. Like do the dishes. Like read your kids a bedtime story. The Lord has a calling on each and every one of us in the present, responsibilities that he means for us to take up, to do. After you've turned your eyes and fixated on the Lord, he'll give you his peace and enable you to be about doing the work that you actually can do in your here and now. And as you do those things, he'll remind you, he's got this, he's got you. Don't be afraid, little flock. In your fear, put your trust in God. He is near to all who call on him. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered, so I trust him. I sought the Lord when anxiety crept up. I sought the Lord when I was thinking about a future I couldn't control, I sought the Lord and He heard me and He answered me by coming and filling my heart with the peace of His presence and therefore, I trust Him. I trust Him. Don't be afraid, little flock. In your fear, put your trust in God. He is near to all who call on Him. There is no need to be paralyzed by anxiety, but rather... We can defeat worry and anxiety by fighting to focus our hearts upon the loving God who is glad to be near us and in every situation by presenting our request to Him with thanksgiving and prayer. What do you say we close by doing that together? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You know us. Thank You that You did not stand far off, distant, but you came, and you became like one of us, taking on the very nature of a servant. You humbled yourself and put flesh on. You know what it's like 